You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Today I want to talk to you this, uh, just about something very simple and uh, beautiful and practical. Um, I want to talk to you about life-giving habits that, that God has uh, called us to. And so this is, again, very practical message, uh, but there's a lot of truth that we see in this. And I want to encourage you to take some notes, if you can, if you will, because some of these things are going to speak to you, and I want to really quickly go over what we're going to do today is I'm going to talk about three habits that God wants to create in your life, and these are, again, things that most of you know, but things we have to pay attention to because they don't happen by accident. A lot of times when it comes to these these habits and these things that we know God wants to do in our life, we understand them maybe up here and maybe even in our heart, but we don't necessarily walk them out. And so we need to learn how to walk them out. And then I'm going to talk about some pitfalls because in, in, I, don't, I don't typically like focusing on anything super negative in my messages, but I feel like this is significant because a lot of times we, be, we begin to believe these pitfalls as truth. And when we identify, when the light shines on them, we begin to see them for what they really are. And then I'm going to talk to you about how we walk in these healthy habits, all right? So the first one is this, is that God wants us to grow in our relationships. God wants to build a healthy habit of us growing in our relationships. And this just means two simple things that we, that we, we probably know. The first relationship, the primary relationship that we have to grow in is our one toward God. Our one toward God. We need to be growing in our relationship with God. And a lot of times when we talk about this idea, immediately we go to some of the practical things that we know we're supposed to do. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. I need to come to church. Those are all great things, but that is not the essence of what grows you in your relationship with God. Those are resources that help you to grow. But when I talk about growing in our relationship with God, what I'm really talking about is for us to really know God, to know God. Now again, I've said this many times, some of you have heard this, some of you might not have. There's two different types of know when it comes to the Bible. There's know up here, right? And that's the Greek word gnosis, what we, what we know and what we understand, the things that we can learn, and even things that God can illuminate in our mind. But then there is what is, happens in the spirit to know something in our spirit, which is epigenosis, which is almost imagine um, a camera, an old school camera, now, you youngsters aren't going to understand what I'm saying, but there used to be, like, cameras you had to wind up, and you had a flash on it, and you had to hit the flash, and when the flash went off, the picture took, the lens opened up, it exposed the, the, what you were taking a picture of on the film, and it captured it. And that is the definition of epignosis, where something gets burned into us, and this is what it means to know God. To know God, not just know Him up here, not just know the things that maybe we learned through the years, or we've heard, or maybe have made a bit of an impact, but to know him in a personal way. And when I think about this, my mind goes to this very uh, amazing little scripture in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. It says, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. What does it mean to know God? It's to begin to grow in a relationship where we trust him. Where we trust Him, truly trust Him. Trust Him as Lord, to know Him as Lord, the Savior of our life, the one who has removed the stain of our, our sin, the shame of our sin. 
who has eradicated that out of our identity, who has brought us into sonship, into adoption as a son or daughter of God, to know Him in that way, but also to trust Him. And I don't know about you, but in my relationship with the Lord and how I grow, one of the things that I probably struggle with the most is this. I can trust God as a Savior of my life, as the one who has removed the stain of my sin. But sometimes it's difficult to trust Him in the areas of my life. And we have to grow in that area, don't we? Because this is what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is telling us, to trust in the Lord. And what that means very simply is to, complete, to put our complete confidence in the Lord. This is why, again, the idea about taking inventory of the different areas of our life, what do you spend time worrying about? What do you, what do you spend your time on? What do you spend your money on? All that is going to indicate what you trust. And God asks us to trust Him. Trust Him as Lord. To trust Him with our heart, the cares of our heart, the concerns of our heart. To know that He truly cares about every area of our life. To grow in intimacy with Him as Father. To know Him as Father God. What Romans 8 tells us, that we've received the spirit of adoption whereby which we cry out, Abba, Daddy, God. To know Him in that way. To know Him in that way. And this is an area and a habit that God wants to develop in us to be able to know the Lord, to grow in this relationship. And we have to be stretched in these areas. We all know that there have been different times and seasons in our life where maybe we've struggled with this. But God wants to build a healthy habit within us where we can really know Him. The second area of relationships is this, is that we need to grow in our interpersonal relationships. And again, that, that little illustration with Buddy this morning was, was highly significant, at least to me, in the sense of how God has seated us to begin to express how He has created us. You know, there's a tremendous amount of books. All you have to do is go to Barnes & Nobles or go to your Audible account or Amazon and, and look for books. And the self-help section is huge. And a lot of it involves finding out what you are meant to do. What you have been created to do, finding out about who you are, all these things. And these are all, some of these are great books. But the reality is that's a big question, isn't it, that we all face. And God doesn't want us to struggle with that. And so one of the ways that he has protected and provided for that is by seating us in community. And this is why he wants us to have a healthy habit of growing in relationships because we understand why we were created and the best context for that is within the body of Christ, believe it or not. I hope that doesn't sound strange to you because it's really true. That's what Ephesians tells us, that we find the, the, the collision between the gifts that Jesus has given us and the gifts that God has given you are the things that will bring you fulfillment but they have to be seen, don't they? And the way that they're seen, and this is where that beautiful collision is, where the grace gifts of God meet up with a need. And as we're in the body of Christ, those things that God has put in you are going to come out and begin to be expressed to other people. They're going to be stretched. They're going to be used in the way of encouragement. They're going to edify, build somebody else up. And I promise you, that is the maximum level of fulfillment that you're going to find in your life, when you begin to line up with the grace gifts that God has given you, and you begin to use those. So you have to grow in relationship. You have to grow in relationship. You need to be connected. 
You need to be connected. The second area that God wants to grow us in and to build a healthy habit. The first one is in our relationships. The second one is he wants us to grow in our productivity. What does a productive life look like? What does a meaningful life look like? God wants your family to be strong. He wants you to have a healthy, productive family. He wants you to be productive in society. And he wants you to be productive at your job. He wants to be, you to be productive in your job. And some of you are going, oh no, oh no, oh no. <laughs> but don't go, oh no. Because here's the thing. It's not as hard as you think, and it's not done in your own strength. No matter if your family feels like it might be in shambles or there's some broken relationships, or if your past kind of gives you a bad reputation, I want to tell you something. I've seen, and I've been even that person at times, where there's been things that I haven't been proud of, but through humility, through the grace of Jesus, God has restored that. Your job, maybe you go, I hate my job, Pastor. I don't, I don't like my job. I curse my job. Stop. God is giving you and asking you to create a healthy pattern, a habit of a productive life. And that involves what you do at your workplace. And we can do this by following some simple principles, just some simple things. And I want you really to write these down. Because these work in every area that I just mentioned. Your family and society and in your job. If we'll just stick to some of the things that God has said. If we will show honor, if we will choose to be a people that reflect the honor that has been given to us by Jesus Christ, if we will show honor, if you'll show honor in your family, if you'll honor your children, if you'll honor your wife, your husband, if you'll honor and create a culture of honor in your, in your family, God is going to bless your family and make it productive. If you do that in society, if you do that at your job, the second is this, you have to work hard. You have to work hard. Listen, there is a difference between understanding the grace of Jesus and then also knowing that God asks us to set our hand to the plow and to work hard. And there are times, especially in areas that we just, I just mentioned your, in your family and society and in your work, that you need to work hard. If you're at your workplace, you need to work hard. You need to work hard. I'm not telling you to go extremely overboard, but what I'm telling you is that you need to be noted as the hardest working person in your workplace. You need to be diligent at your, at your task. If you're in your family and there's work to be done, you need to work hard. You need to work hard to build healthy relationships, to notch out time, to create time, to begin to have the healthy cultures that you want to see existent in your family. In society too, you have to work hard. I love reading books about guys, men and women, who have done phenomenal things for society. But one thing that never escapes me is this, is their willingness to work to do that. How many of you guys know who Ben Carson is? He ran for president last election. And Ben Carson is a phenomenal man, a believer. And he was a neurosurgeon, a pediatric neurosurgeon at John Hopkins University. I read a book about his called Gifted Hands. Phenomenal book. Ben Carson struggled with school. Struggled with school. He felt himself as being dumb. But he worked and he worked and he worked because he knew what God had called him to do. I watched this documentary about these two uh, conjoined twins at the brain that no doctor in the world would touch until they came to Ben Carson. And Ben Carson got on the phone with this lady and said, do not worry, God is going to take care of this and it's going to get done. Do you know that they separated those conjoined t twins successfully? 
I want to tell you something, that if Ben would have given up in school and said, I can't do this, he would have missed out in the collision of his gift and the ability to live to the fulfillment that God had called him to. You've got to work hard. You've got to be honest about growing. Growing takes effort. Growing takes effort, and you have to be honest about it. And can I just say this, when, when we talk about this idea of being honest in our growth, is this, is that a lot of times you don't see the weak areas in your life. And that's why, again, you need to be connected. Husbands, listen to your wives. Wives, listen to your husbands in love. Speak in love. <laughs> don't speak in anger or, 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 or retribution. I don't know. Like, don't be mad about it, I guess. But you need to listen to somebody. You have to be honest about your growth. You need to be honest about your growth. And when we're honest about our growth, we'll grow. When we're humble about it, we'll grow. Be solution-focused. Don't just be focused on the problems. Everybody can see a problem. Most people can't see a solution. Everybody can see a problem. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to acknowledge a problem, but it takes somebody who is listening to the Lord and is filled with His grace to see a solution. Be solution-focused. Probably when I first mentioned these three areas of productive life, you go, well, I got a problem here, I got a problem here, I got a problem here. Everybody's aware of the problem, but when you begin to ask the Lord, say, God, will you help me to see a solution? Will you help me to see your grace? Will you help me to see this a different way, the way you see it? Be solution-focused. And finally, be an encourager. Be an encourager. Speak what God says. Speak life. Nobody gets anywhere by throwing dirt. Don't throw dirt. Be an encourager. Be an encourager in your workplace, even to the person that you don't care for. Be an encourager. Find something good. That doesn't mean that you negate the truth, but it means this, is that you're speaking words of life into somebody. Speak life into your family. Speak encouragement to your family, into your society, and into your job. Number three, the third habit is this, is God wants us to make a kingdom impact. God wants to build a habit in, of a, in us of making a kingdom impact. He wants us to grow in our relationships. He wants us to grow in productivity. And he wants us to make a kingdom impact. And all this means is to be empowered to, for something significant. And the way that this happens is this. And when we talk about the idea of making a kingdom impact, the first thing that we have to ask the Holy Spirit for revelation of is that we have to have eternity set in our hearts. If you don't have, as a believer, eternity set in your heart, there is going to be an overwhelming tie that is going to push you for, to live for things that are temporal. But the truth is, when we read the New Testament over and over again, you cannot escape this truth. Whether it's Paul's epistles, Peter's, John's, you cannot escape this truth that every believer has to live with eternity in their heart. You have to live with an eternal focus. You have to understand that the things that you do on this earth have to count for something eternal. They have to count for something eternal. And here's what that means, is that we begin to live our life today that honors eternity on earth. And so we have to think about things that matter in terms of eternity. And so what things matter in terms of eternity? If we're talking about a kingdom impact, what things matter in terms of eternity as opposed to things that don't? And things that matter in terms of eternity are things like relationships. The transformational power of Jesus. 
what we present to be true about Jesus, those who we have the opportunity to help to find Jesus, to encourage, to grow toward Jesus, these things, the things that we give to that have an eternal value, that is why you should be excited. Because believe it or not, the things that you've done in Honduras and in Syria and now Romania, you might not physically ever see with your eyes or physically ever touch, but it has an eternal value. And when you get to heaven, you're going to see that. It's going to count for something. Okay? And so when we begin to think in terms of this, this is what it means to live our life now for an eternal purpose. What you speak into your children in the way of what is prophetic and what God says serves an eternal purpose. What you declare about your marriage serves an eternal purpose. What you give as a testimony to the people around you of Jesus serves an eternal purpose. And this means that we have to seek to make that eternal impact in other people's lives. I heard this statement in this audible book that I read, and it shook me. I was coming home yesterday from Seguin, Texas, and I was listening to an audible book. And it was a statement, and this, this author said this. He said that the evangelical church is amazing at counting. We count. We're counters. We're counters. We count how many people come to church. We count how many people get baptized. We count how many people go through a growth track or how many people are in a small group. We count, we count, we count, but we count the wrong things. Because the mission in the gospel of Jesus Christ never asks us to count who's in. It always asks us to count who's not. And we count the wrong things. And so there's two numbers that we should pay, we should pay a special attention to, to, to. Is how many people in our life, how many people in our community, how many people in our county do not know Jesus, who are not connected to Jesus. And the second number it should be zero. Because we should desire to bring that number down to zero, shouldn't we? We should pray that number to zero. We should evangelize that number to zero. We should be the example of Jesus until that number is zero. How would you like that to walk into a church and go, the number we're looking for is zero. I might paint that on the back wall. Until everybody comes into the kingdom. Until everybody has heard the gospel. Until everybody knows the truth. Until everybody has heard. Until everybody has heard. Because this is what it means to have an eternal mindset. To have an eternal mindset, right? Okay, these are things, habits that God wants to build. All right. So let's just talk really quick about some roadblocks. All right, I got to run through this. I'm going to run through this fast, so pay attention. So there's a couple of things that get in our way sometimes when we, when we think about these healthy habits because we seem to be conditioned if our minds are not renewed to certain things. One of the things that we're conditioned to is to quit, to give up. We start something, um, this is me, okay, it's not you, this is me. I'm a great starter, I'm not a great finisher sometimes. Okay, but we're conditioned, if our minds aren't renewed, to quit. So what gets in the way of healthy habits that God's trying to build in our life? Well, this is one of them. We don't see results immediately, so we quit. We quit. And sometimes we get tricked into thinking that's what God's will is. When things get tough, we quit and we say, well, that's God's will. And that's just not right. That's not right. Sometimes, sometimes... We don't get the feedback from people that we desire, and so we quit. We quit. 
And we're, we're predispositioned to quit. Sometimes we get busy. We get busy and we forget what we're doing. And we stop. Or sometimes, because of the way of inactivity, we quit. But here's the thing. That's called being undisciplined. That's called being undisciplined. All right. I didn't promise you this wasn't going to hurt a little bit, all right? But here's the reality. We, we need to see these things, okay? And so we're predispositioned to quit. When things get tough, if we're not convinced of it, if our mind's not renewed, we quit. We quit. That's the first pitfall. The second one is this, to become discouraged or disheartened. To become discouraged or disheartened. We start heading out on one of these disciplines and things seem to be moving the opposite way. You say, I'm going to begin to build a culture of productivity in my family and, and it's just met with opposition. And you get discouraged or disheartened. Things in your workplace, you try to change your attitude, you try to change your heart, but then all of a sudden it feels like all hell breaks loose and you lose heart. You get discouraged or disheartened. And the voice of discouragement is very easy to listen to. It seems like we listen to that voice and we are predispositioned to listen to that voice and to hear that voice. But I want to tell you just a very practical, simple truth about this is that it takes five times the amount of encouragement to keep on going, to keep the course of what we're doing than it does for one act of discouragement to make us want to quit. What does that mean? You need to feed yourself on encouragement. You need to feed yourself on encouragement. You need to write down what God is saying about your family, about your workplace, about what God's called you to do in society, about your growth in the Lord, about making an internal impact. You need to write that down. You need to keep it in front of you. You need to look at it. You need to be encouraged by it. You need to be around people who are going to encourage you. You need to listen to stuff that's going to encourage you. You need to hear the voice of encouragement. We get tired. The third pitfall. We get tired. And I think that sometimes this is one that is extremely honest, but we, it's really easy for us to crutch on. Okay, I say this with a lot of grace and a lot of gentleness. You guys are looking at me sideways right now. Stop it. All right. Sometimes things take longer than we thought, and we get tired. But here's just the gentle reality is that the walk of faith is going to take time. The walk of faith is going to take time. None of these things... And these habits are going to be built overnight. They're going to take time. And the reason why we get tired and we hit this pitfall, we're predispositioned to this because as a culture, we have learned to burn the candle at both ends. You know what that means? Is that we do too many things. We do too many things. We get too busy. And friends, listen, just in a lot of grace, a lot of love, really purely in my heart, because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here with you, all right? I haven't mastered this, is that we justify the things that we get busy with. We tell ourselves that they matter, but what we don't realize is that they are destroying our rest. And rest is a necessary component when it comes to building the healthy habits, allowing the Holy Spirit to build the healthy habits to bring you into the life that He has called you to. And so to avoid the pitfall of being tired, you need to carve out some time for rest. And practically speaking, that means that you're going to have to look at your calendar. You're going to have to look at your stuff that you're doing. And for some people here, you're going to have to decide and, and come to an honest place and say, I don't have enough time to do that. I need to cut that out. 
If you don't give your rest in the Lord a priority in your life, you will get tired. You will get tired and you'll fall into that pitfall. And when you're tired, you'll stop. You'll quit. You'll quit. The next one is this. Is that we're predispositioned to accept failure and fear. Whenever bad news comes or obstacles come, the voice of failure and fear speaks to us loudly. It speaks to us loudly. The way that the enemy works with fear is overwhelming. He comes in like a barrage. If you've ever received a bad report from a doctor, if you've heard bad news about your job or your future or something in your family, that's all you can seem to think about, isn't it? That's all you seem to think about. And what does that tell you is that if our minds are not renewed, if we're not actively renewing our minds, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, don't worry, is that we are going to be predispositioned to be consumed by failure and fear. Some of you, God has called and spoken these things to you, and you go, I don't know if I can do them because of my yesterday, because of what I was, because of my past failures. But can I tell you just a very simple, powerful truth is that in reality, in the, in the utmost reality, God is greater than those things. He has dealt with both of those things. He has dealt with your failure. The Apostle Paul was the chief failure. And that's why Philippians, he, he writes in Philippians, forgetting the things that are behind me. What is he talking about? He's talking about when he used to murder Christians. It's not a good way to start off your evangelistic meeting. Hey guys, I used to murder y'all, but now I'm here to talk to you. I love you, okay? No. <laughs> that reputation follows you and marks you in society, doesn't? And Paul had to get over that. He had to say, Jesus, you're greater than the failures, but also you're greater than the fear. You're greater than the fear. I need to know the one that gives me peace in the middle of the storm. I need to know the one who gives me the peace of Christ that surpasses my understanding that brings me into peace. Okay. The last pitfall is this, is that we are preconditioned, predisposed to believing what we see. And this is why God walks us, asks us to walk the walk of faith. Because the walk of faith absolutely involves us going towards something we don't see except in our spirit. Mm, that's troubling. Maybe not for you. It is a little bit for me. But we believe what we see. We believe what we see in the news. We believe what we read on social media. We believe what our experiences have told us, what other people's experiences have told us. We believe, we believe, we believe what we see. And to do and live in the habits that God is asking you to, to, to grow in, to grow into the fullness of what God is asking you to grow in, you're going to have to walk by faith, which means you can't believe what you see. You can't believe what you see. You have to believe what God is saying in your spirit. Let's finish this up. We're talking about how to renew our minds. How to renew our minds. Okay. The first thing is this. Is that we have to believe for the impossible. We have to believe for the impossible. In order to believe for the impossible, we have to remind ourselves that God is capable. That God is capable. In Luke 1.37, it says this, For nothing is impossible 
with God. Nothing is impossible with God. This is what Jesus is saying. In Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Let me read to you one more scripture in Jeremiah 32, 37. It says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for me? And the key is this, is that when we begin to face things that we see as impossible, we need to take a moment and we need to worship. And I want to just quickly tell you a story in Genesis 15. Uh, two weeks ago, I talked about Genesis 12, the, 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 the covenant that God set with Abram. And in that covenant, he told Abraham something. He said, I'm going to make you a father that through you a nation will be blessed. And, and, and the reference was that I'm going to make a nation out of you. The problem was, is that Abram... And Sarai, his wife, were very old and they didn't have any children. And so in Genesis 15, God again brings his promise up to him because Abraham is believing what he sees. He cannot believe God for the impossible and he's trying to figure out a loophole. He's saying, God, I hear what you're saying here, but in reality, all my stuff is going to go to a, a relative and it's, it's not, I don't get what you're saying that I'm going to have a, a son. And God looks at him and says, no, it's not, Abram. I want you to, oh, here's what I want you to do, is I want you to understand that this is what I'm saying. I want you to believe the impossible, but I want you to create an altar. And the scripture tells us that, that Abram believed God at that moment, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what did Abram do? Abram didn't have to believe God for the fulfillment of Isaac right then and there. What he believed God for was this, to build the altar. And what that altar represents is an act of worship. And if you're going to see the impossible, when the moment of, of, of confrontation or confliction comes where you are trying to walk in what God has called you to walk in, and you see the impossible... You have to step into the place of worship. And so what Abram does is he cuts covenant again. He creates a sacrifice. He builds an altar and makes a sacrifice to God. And God there changes his name. He begins to give him the fulfillment of what he has spoke. It began to be birthed in his heart. It began to be formed in his heart so that he began to see through the eyes of the spirit instead of what he saw in the natural and if you're going to believe for the impossible, you have to understand that God is capable, but when the going gets tough, you need to push into worship. You need to push into worship. You need to create a sacrifice of worship. In that position of worship, what we see is this, a very powerful thing, is that God begins to speak, He begins to move, He begins to clear up some things in our life. When we take a moment of worship, Justin, come on up, bud. The second thing is this, is we have to see the invisible. We have to see the invisible. I love this. This takes great faith. It takes great faith. In 2 Kings 6, this is a story of Elisha, not Jehsha, all right? Elisha was mentored by Elijah. There you go. That's your history lesson for today. In 2 Kings 15 through 17, 
Elisha and the prophets had gone to a place and they were sitting there earlier in 2 Kings 6. And then the enemies of Israel came and gathered around Israel. And Israel began to freak out. And this is what it says in verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the next morning, the army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. The enemy of Israel had gathered around Israel, surrounded them, and it looked like there was nothing that Israel could do. They were about to get destroyed. And so Elijah's servant goes out and reports back to what he saw and is natural. Now listen to Elijah's response in verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Okay. <laughs> You're talking about these prophets with poles? I mean, what are you doing here, Elisha? You got some Shaolin monks over here like they're about to whoop tail? No. No. Elijah wasn't blowing smoke. Come on. Y'all wake up for just a second. I'm about to preach for just a few minutes. Here's what Elisha said. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he might see. Then the Lord opened up the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. <laughs> oh, come on. See, we were practical for the first part of this, but now we're going to just take a deep spiritual dive. Because you don't accomplish any habit or any calling or any gift that God's given you in your own strength, your own ability. And guess what? Man, yeah, sure, all hell is going to try to break loose against you. And it's going to cause you to see the things with your natural eyes. You're going to have to fight the fight and stay in a place of worship and know God's able to be in to believe the impossible. But you have to also see the invisible. You have to see what heaven is doing and understand that when we sing songs about the kingdom of heaven and inviting God down and inviting the Holy Spirit, that there are things in the unseen realm that are happening, that God is working in our behalf. And we have to have spiritual eyes to see this. Because nothing is impossible for God. And there is a position of faith. And I wish I could tell you something different. I wish I could put training wheels on this. I wish I could kick out the deep end of this. But I can't. Because if you're going to walk the walk of faith, it is going to require you to begin to see things the way that heaven sees things. And you're going to have to take your eyes off of the natural things, begin to see into the impossible, and begin to open your eyes to see the supernatural. There's not another way. Oh, it's exciting. We have to see the invisible. Part of this means that heavenly forces are working behind the scenes in our behalf. Oh, thank you, Jesus. What do you mean, God? Do you know what I need before I ask? What do you mean, God, that you're, you're providing a way? I can't, I can't see it, but you're providing a way? Yeah, Andy, I am. When we set our heart and our devotion on God, it comes along with the grace that lets us know that there are more that are for us than against us. Oh man, thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord, that in every situation that you are for me and that there are more, there is more of who you are that is for me than ever can come against me. Thank you, Lord, that I can sing with the psalmist. It says, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemy. I want to tell you something. I hate eating when I'm anxious. I lose weight when I'm anxious. That's a great weight loss pattern for me. Right? Some of you are with me. What kind of peace is that to know that I can sit down in the presence where there's storms building all around me and say, God, I'm going to have a meal. Yes, please, I'd like dessert. Thank you. Bring coffee also. I'm going to be here a while. What kind of peace is that? It's the peace of seeing things, not with your natural eyes. And as David wrote that psalm, believe me, he was in the midst of a storm. But what he did is he lifted his eyes up to the Lord. He said, even though my enemies buffet all around me, you are going to mow them down, God. Because there's more of you. There's more of you in me. There's more of you around me than that can ever oppose me. God, give me eyes to see the invisible. The last thing is this, very simple. And how we see these things come in. Don't see, don't see through your natural eyes with your family. Don't see with your natural eyes with what you're accomplishing for eternity. Don't see in your natural eyes your growth with the Lord. Begin to see the impossible. Begin to understand that God is for you. See the invisible. The last one is this, declare it, declare it, speak it out. Refuse to give in to what seems impossible. In Romans 4, Paul paints this, an Old Testament picture with Abraham. In verses 18 through 21, it says this, Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. Against all hope. (laughs) Abraham, you're too old. Abraham, you're not going to be what... God has promised. Could you imagine Abraham sharing that story? I mean, even when Sarah heard it, she laughed. And God looked at her and said, Sarah, I saw you. Is anything too hard? Is anything impossible for me? Against all hope. Hmm. Abraham in hope. Listen. Listen. Please listen. Lubies will wait. I'm not being funny right now. I'm being serious. Listen. Because some of you need this this morning. And this is what you came for. Against all hope. Against what hope says. Against all hope. Against the rational. Against what I see. Against all hope. Abraham, in hope. What did Abraham do? He said, listen, if hope isn't here, I'm going to hope in something higher than what I see. He believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Mm. 
Abraham had to declare it. God, not according to what I see, not according to what I'm trying to make happen, but according to what you say. To what you say. At a certain point, the natural circumstances of Abraham's life stopped bothering him. Because you're going to speak something. Friends, you're going to say something. Something's going to come out of your mouth. And it's either going to be what you see or it's going to be what God says. You need to declare what God is saying. Jesus said it like this in Mark eleven twenty three. 23. He says, I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, you can say to the mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Jesus isn't telling us to throw mountains into the sea. That would cause a tsunami. You could laugh at that. He's given us a principle of faith. Is that for faith to begin to grow inside of us. For faith to grow in us. Is that we have to believe for the impossible. We have to see the invisible. And we have to declare it. For faith to grow. You have to speak faith for the things that God is calling you to do you have to speak what God is saying you have to speak what God is saying friends listen to me you can't run around and just start declaring everything because that's not the contingency of faith what happens is this is that when our eyes begin to see what God is saying, and there's a confrontation into the habits that He is forming us and growing us into, understand this. You're going to have to see the impossible. You're going to have to see the impossible. You're going to have to see the invisible. You're going to have to see God working behind the scenes. And when you are convinced of that, just like Abraham, you have to begin to say, I am siding and declaring on the hope of what God is saying. That's what's coming out of my mouth. That doesn't mean you run around shouting it. That doesn't mean you get up on a chair. That doesn't mean that you run to every corner of your house and start streaming into the corners. Friends, listen. That's, there's not a magic trick to this. This is a lineup between what God is saying and calling us into what is in our spirit and what comes out of our mouth. And what comes out of our mouth and when we speak the promises of God into these areas that he's asked us to grow in, then faith begins to grow. Faith begins to grow. This morning, let's take a little bit of inventory, and this will be our closing prayer. God, do we need to change our thinking in an area? Have we seen something too much through the natural, whether it's a relationship or our future or our growth with you? That we've made our relationship with you too binary, meaning that we're doing it through these things. And it hasn't really caught, gripped in and started to carry. But God, you're, you're drawing me into the spirit. Is there a change in my thinking that needs to happen? Some of you, you need to change the nature of your thinking, your relationship with God. And understand that he's the father who desires to love you. And you need to step into that area of intimacy that begins to form in you. And let his identity form in you. Some of you need to change the way you think about your family, about your spouse, 
about your workplace, about your role. Some of you need to begin to change your thinking and say, listen, I'm too afraid in this life. And God hasn't given me what Paul said to Timothy, a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. And he- this, this world is not my home. Heaven is my home. If you know Jesus Christ, heaven is your home. But my job is to make the biggest internal impact on this earth that I possibly can. That means I want to bring that number to zero all around me. Some of us need to be challenged in this area is that we need to see obstacles as opportunities. Because you say, look, pastor, I can see that, but I see obstacles too. And again, what I want to tell you is this. Make your prayer this. Holy Spirit, will you begin to help me to see opportunities in the midst of these obstacles? And finally, God, will you grow me, not by my own strength, not by my own ability, but in your grace and in your strength. Will you grow these habits in my life? Let's pray. Father, this morning we love you and we come to you humbly. Because we realize, Lord, that the implanted word wants to do a work inside of us. As we heard the word this morning, the Holy, Holy Spirit, would you breathe on it? Would you breathe on it in our life? Would you begin to, to take us through the process of making this transformational? And if there's a change that needs to be made in our life right now, we just we humbly submit. And just right now, right where you are, make the, your chair your altar and say, God, would you... There's an area of my thinking that is wrong, that's not rooted into the promises and the truth of what you're saying. God, would you, would you change and transform and renew my mind? Holy Spirit, I just pray for those who struggle, Lord, in their relationship with you, God, that maybe they, they've misunderstood who you are. And that maybe they see you as a God of wrath. And so, Father, we just remind them that your wrath was only poured out upon one person. Your son, Jesus Christ, who bore the full weight of sin. And it was fully satisfied in the atonement. Through his shed body, the blood that flowed in his broken body. And that the covenant that you bring us into, God, is one where we cry out to you as father. And that you know us. Intimately as sons and daughters. And so God would you bring us into that place of understanding of your great love. Of your grace and even knowing that your discipline in the times of disciplining in our life. That God you do that for our good. And so Lord we receive you for who you are and we allow you Holy Spirit to renew our minds to that truth. God I pray for those who need a, their minds to be renewed in their the thoughts with their families and their marriages. Lord, we break the lies of the enemy right now in the name of Jesus that says that a marriage or children or the family structure is burdensome. Father, I break off the lies of the experiences that we've had even growing up, Lord, where somebody hasn't seen a pattern of that in their life. And Lord, we come under the banner of your love. And we operate in the grace of your love one toward another. We forgive We allow your healing. We allow your Holy Spirit to restore communication, intimacy. To begin to speak prophetically about a future 
and a hope. Lord, the same thing in our workplace. Renew our mind, God. Lord, let us see eternity. Let us see eternity, God. Let our hearts burn, burn. Lord, for the eternal hope so much that it moves and opens our mouths and causes us to go to the places that you're asking us to go to begin to be a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, every obstacle, Holy Spirit, would you remind us that who you are in us, the greatness of who you are and what you have prepared around us, is greater, Lord, than the obstacles that we face. And so I pray for peace, Lord, in the midst of the storms that some folks are facing today, but I also thank you for the grace to see, Lord, the opportunities that you're presenting, God, and that you are causing things to work out. Lord, and it's not about us understanding the timing, but God, we trust you, we trust you, we trust you, we trust you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Would you stand to your feet, please?